Lead me to some soul today. Oh, teach me. All right, welcome everyone to uh, episode number 46 of a series of episodes we've been calling Leading Others to Christ. And uh, those of you that have been listening and watching, you know that during these episodes, uh, we'll be focused on evangelism. And um, one of our goals, and we have many, but one of them is to, to stir us up to love and good works, as we read about in Hebrews 10, but, but especially to stir us up in the area of reaching our family or friends and neighbors with the gospel of Christ. Um, my name is Dan Barker, and I preach for the Creekside Church of Christ in Franklin, Indiana. For those of you that don't know, Franklin is about 20 miles south of uh, downtown Indianapolis, and I also serve as one of the shepherds there. Uh, last year, when all this COVID stuff started, uh, talking to Matt and uh, came up with this idea of, uh, of possibly doing a podcast, and here we are, 46 uh, interviews in, which is crazy to me, but those of you that know me, a little background on this, uh, know that. I'm passionate about evangelism. I have been ever since I obeyed the gospel when I was 21 years old in, in Owensboro, Kentucky. And I've always been striving to learn more. I'm striving to learn how to teach, uh, to, to use some Bible phrases, to sow the seed, to be a fisher of men, uh, teaching others to teach and remembering what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, and the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then later in the chapter, and I've always liked this phrase that Paul was talking to Timothy about being useful for the master. So uh, again, we came up with this idea of a podcast where we would interview uh, Christians around the, uh, around the country, around the world, men and women, preachers, elders, deacons, just members in the congregation. And once we've identified them to interview them, learn more about them, find out how they do their work, uh, what tools do they use, and, and again, just try to get as motivated because, unfortunately, in too many places, uh, uh, there's it, it, honestly, just to be blunt, in some places, the congregations are just dead. There's not growth going on at all, and uh, we're trying to see what we can do to motivate others to, uh, to get on fire again. So we're excited today to have a special guest with us someone that I'm confident we'll learn a lot from. So if you're, if you're sitting and, and get out your pad and pen and, and make some notes, but uh, we have Steve Rudd with us today. Uh, welcome, Steve. Hi there. How are you doing? Doing great. Uh, appreciate you taking the time to uh, be on the interview today. Uh, now, Steve works with the uh, preachers for the Hamilton Church of Christ in uh, Hamilton, uh, Ontario and in Canada. And uh, so, uh, again, just uh, and you're the first one we've uh, interviewed from Canada. So congratulations. <laughs> you, you get the award today. Uh, but what I'm we still like, number 46. You're still number 46. I, I'm sorry. That's all right. But hey, that's special. Uh, uh, hey, and it's special because I told you why today's special, right? It's my birthday. So Happy see, birthday. I waited till my birthday to interview Steve Rudd. So Happy birthday. Cheers. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, anyway, Steve, we start out with what we call like the old elevator pitch or the short bio. Give everybody uh, a short bio on, on where you were born, and when, when you obeyed the gospel and, and, and bring us up to speed on where you're working right now. I'm a native uh, Canadian, uh, fourth generation. I was raised, uh, born in Toronto, raised in Oakville, Ontario. Uh, it was Canada's uh, 
for 25 years running richest city per capita. And I, I was raised uh, uh, basically, uh, you know, we did say prayers, but I was essentially a self-declared atheist. You know, in grade three, they had a, a debate in the class on evolution and creation. I was the only one that promoted evolution and I killed them logically, but then they voted me out and said I lost. And so I've always been very kind of anti-Christian, um, seeing it as being like a crutch, etc. And I went to First Year University uh, in the very town where I'm preaching, Hamilton, Ontario, which is uh, Canada's eighth largest city. And it's uh, Ontario is a province like, let's say, California or, well, very much like California now, but um, and it's 45 minutes north of um, Niagara Falls. So I went to university here to get my MBA. Uh, I grew up in a, uh, a wealthy family and my dad owned 11 companies, employed 400 people. And I was kind of like the, uh, the designated, uh, you know, heir. And uh, so I was between first and second year university. I went out west, uh, 2000 miles west, very much like the Trek Abraham did. And I <clears throat> was an atheist. And uh, while I was in Calgary, uh, I went into a bookstore and for some reason I just uh, picked up a Bible and threw it in my, it was a good news Bible, by the way, that horrible paraphrase people say that doesn't, isn't any good. And it, so I threw it in my bag and I found there were jobs up uh, Northwest in the mountains uh, working seismic exploration. And uh, so I, I paid my last uh, <clears throat> money. I, I ran out of money. I had a buck and a quarter in my pocket, literally. And I roll into a place called Rocky mountain house population 3000 on a bus. And I said, God, I don't know if you're real, but I need a job. And that was my first prayer. And I don't know why. And I got off the bus and it was three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon and I, had, I was penniless, um, and two guys walk up to me, and they say, are you the guy that's here for the job? I said, yeah. I thought, how did that happen? They said, well, get your bag, and uh, where's the other guy? Well, there is no other guy. Didn't head office send you? No, and so they hired me on the spot, and I had housing. I jumped on a helicopter every morning, after about 25 days, it finally rained and um, I was bored and I picked up the Bible and began where every novice who had never been to church and had never read the Bible before had no idea what was in the book. You know, I was generally familiar with the story of um, the cross and Jesus, etc. But I, I, so I started where every novice should start and that's the book of Revelation. And uh, then I went to uh, uh, Genesis and jumped through and finally after uh, about six or eight hours, I finally got to Matthew. And I think, oh, here's, here's something about Jesus. So I read Matthew. And at the end of the story, um, I realized that I was a believer. And I walked out into the midnight and there was aurora borealis and stars and mountains. And for about three days, I walked around in a functional stupor saying, I can't believe there's a God, but there is, but you don't believe in God, but you do. And so the result is that it was a very dramatic uh, conversion, and I uh, decided right there and then to quit university and preach. And uh, I also knew by reading the book of Acts that, and this is all by myself, I knew that I had to be baptized to be saved. So I walked, I, 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 I quit the job three days later. They drove me into town where I started, Rocky Mountain House, and I saw there was a place called a Christian Reformed Church. And, oh, Christian, that's what I'm looking for. I went and talked to the preacher on a Saturday night again. And he, uh, I told him the whole story, and, and he never invited me or anything, so I jumped back on a bus, went to Calgary, 
uh, was just buzzing around doing stuff. Uh, had a shopping cart. I had hundred pounds of stuff in my, my guitar case, trying to make money on the street. Uh, vagrant sleeping in abandoned bus shelters and stuff, getting arrested by the police. And just, I know just, just generally vagrancy because I had no money. Finally, um, I realized I need to get baptized. So I just baptized myself in, in the Bull River, which is uh, about 200 meters wide and very fast and cold. And finally, I'm, I'm playing my guitar um, on, on the open mall and a guy walks up to me and he sits down and he says, do you want to talk about Jesus? And I said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So who went in and he bought me some food and um, he said, well, I'll come back tonight. Uh, we have church tonight. I said, it's Wednesday. What? I don't get it. Church on Wednesday? He said, yeah. So um, he came, we met and he took me to church and that's the first time I ever went to church. Um, and it was, it just happened to be a church of Christ. And um, about three weeks later, they baptized me a second time just to see if the first one took. So that's kind of my story. And uh, I've preached in uh, ever since uh, I've, I've spent uh, two years preaching with Mark Copeman in Altamont Springs. He's generally not, uh, you know, kind of, kind of tries to hide that fact, even though we're best friends. And uh, then I moved back to Lethbridge uh, for three years in Alberta. And I've been here in Hamilton for about, 33, 34 years ever since. Wow. 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 That's, uh, that's, there's so many things you brought up there that I could, uh, I don't want to get sidetracked on the interview here because we've got a lot to cover, but you know what? I, I just, I love to hear stories. Um, and I, I say this all the time. Uh, I don't think we tell enough stories And the, if you look at the Bible, how did God communicate with us? It's a book full of stories and all of the people and all the characters and all, all the things that we've learned. Uh, we, were, we have been fascinated and still fascinated about the, the different characters of the Bible. And, but yeah, just to learn, uh, you know, my story is, is different from yours, but uh, some similarities. Uh, but I, I just think it's, uh, it's fascinating. The other thing that, that I think is fascinating too is because you experienced what you did, the background that you had, you come across, uh, I mean, I know there's not another Steve Rudd, but you come across somebody else that's had a similar past. You can communicate with them, right? You can, you can, they'll, they'll I've been there, done that thing. And, and you can uh, hear them and listen to them perhaps when other people wouldn't take the time. And uh, so I, I'm sure you've experienced that over the years as well, right? Yes. I've, I've had a wide, wide range of experiences. I'll invite people all the time and I get no, 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 no. And sometimes I'll get a yes. Um, but it, it comes down to just keep plugging away at it and dealing with people where they are. Exactly. Tell us if you would just take a few minutes and tell us about the, uh, the church there at Hamilton, uh, tell, a little bit about the makeup of the group. Well, we've got a, a small group um, and it's uh, some of them are, are uh, members that have been members, you know, much of their life. We've got a number of new converts, a number of people that have been there for a number of years. The church has been here for about 33 years, and it's it is rough going in Canada. It's it's very secular, very negative, and uh, in, in the community. Uh, but we have um, a, a variety of individuals, and we we just uh, you know we just had a baptism about uh, three months ago. A lady that came over from uh, Malaysia, and she was a a Muslim, and she had you know learned the gospel over there but knew she could not express her faith because she was um 
you know, she actually said that she would be either you know, murdered or, or, or kidnapped or put in a concentration camp or a re-education camp. It was that serious. So she waited till she came to Canada and uh, uh, she uh, had been using my website from Malaysia a little bit. And when she got here, she walked by the church building and, and uh, checked with Google and found out that it was the same one as the website connected. And, um, and then she contacted me and we studied with her and baptized her and she continues uh, to be faithful to this day. So we're reaching a wide range of people. I would say that generally speaking uh, in Canada, uh, the only people that are really being converted, generally speaking, are going to be uh, recent immigrants. Uh, the, the natural born Canadians that have been here a generation or two uh, seem to be all absolutely uninterested. There's a, a mass exodus away from uh, church generally in Canada, uh, and it's it's going very toward very much towards like what's in Sweden, where like almost nobody goes to church. Well, um, thanks for sharing that. And uh, uh, again, so many thoughts there. But uh, you know, I think it's that's one of the things that motivated us doing this interview is that different stats that we've seen. Um, uh, of the church declining in so many places, uh, so many that are closing their doors uh, literally every month. Um, and then a lot of places, uh, I mean, they're literally dying, closing their doors because they're, they're, you know, they're all my age or older and there's no new people coming in. Maybe they started when there was a lot of business in the community and now it's all moved away. There's no jobs there, situations like that. But one of the biggest things that I've found and, and I've seen is that, and I don't know why or how, and not to be negative, but just to be real, is it's like, it's like when people are taught what they need to do to become a Christian, somehow this whole thing about we're supposed to take this good news that we learn and share it with others. And it's like uh, that hasn't been ingrained. And I'm, I know I'm being judgmental here, but just in a lot of places, they see that as your work. It's not I'm, if I'm a member, that's your work. That's not my work. And uh, so we're trying to get everybody to understand that no, the Lord's plan was that all of us take uh, this gospel and, and go into the world, go into our world, uh, if we're in Canada, if we're in Franklin, Indiana, if we're uh, wherever we are, and uh, teach others when we have the opportunity. You know, Steve, I, I heard about you several years ago, uh, and really it was from uh, uh, people talking about websites and technology and everything. And, and I think, I don't know this to be sure, but uh, for certain, but I think you're probably one of the forerunners as far as uh, understanding the technology and the use of, a, of an effective website. Uh, and I actually, uh, I had a copy of this and you'll remember, you can read it when I hold it up. Uh, I think you spoke there. There was an article in there that you wrote in the, uh, the Truth Magazine, refocusing on evangelism. And I saw one thing in there that you had said and that was like five, six years ago, I think, but uh, that you had it documented that there's over a hundred people that have, that have obeyed the gospel uh, as a result of your website. So if yeah, you would. Yeah, it's probably more like 300 now. That was, that was 20, that was like 15, 15 or so odd years ago. It's like. Okay. So this is older than I thought. So, yeah. wow. All right. Now, you know, and that just, that just, uh, I don't want to say it blows me away. You know, what blows me away is like this podcast. Uh, Matt told me we did the analytics here uh, just a couple of months ago, and there's in the last 90 days, there's over 5,000 people that are listening to this, uh, this podcast. And uh, being the old guy that I am, that just blows me away. But there's a lot of interest out here. There's a lot of people that are wanting to know 
of, of what they can do to get involved. But let's talk about your website. I know there's a lot, so many, I was looking at it again yesterday. You've got so much information there, but what's the value of that website? That's a very important question. <clears throat> and the only value of the website is the database that connects the information with individual Christians and local congregations. Uh, in an article I authored, I guess the one you're referring to, I make the point that, um, you know, flashy, you know, using flash and fancy little graphics and stuff like that, none of that matters because people, when they find the material, they're always, it's always Google, it's bringing them to the material. So it's a content driven media, uh, the internet. When, when people, when, you know, when churches put up a web page, um, I have a scoring system uh, for the most part, about 90% of the church web pages, I would score them about four or five out of 10 on what they ought to be doing. And, you know, I wrote about that in the article and that's yes. not to put down what they're doing. It's just that they, they don't understand how web media works. And so basically, you know, there's 18,000 different HTML pages. Um, that's, you know, each link might have 200 actual print pages. So 18,000 um, different documents plus, you know, a, a massive number of graphics. All of that is essentially irrelevant. Uh, none of that matters. It's, the content isn't important. The content is, is like, think of the entire website. Remember in the old days, we would uh, get the newspaper and in the want ads, we'd put a little, a little you know, cost us $3.50 for a week. And you'd have three lines of text in the want ads. Wanted, somebody to study the Bible, phone, boom. That's what websites are. Websites are like that little ad in the newspaper. And nothing, now imagine if you put an ad in the newspaper, but didn't put your phone number there. Uh, wanted, somebody to study the Bible, but you don't put your phone number. That's what 99% of, of churches will do. Now, let me qualify that, because what I'm saying is, you know, most churches will put a contact there, but they'll use a CAPTCHA form, which nobody's going to respond to. They use um, forms, which nobody's going to respond to, or they'll use an email address like info at church.com or something like that. And that email address has been gone for, it hasn't been updated. It's never checked. And people recognize it as, as just a generic, it's the one that the web programmer assigned you when you set up the website. And so what they need to be doing is putting uh pictures of individuals in the church beside their own personal phone number, let's say somehow um, uh, hidden, or maybe just somehow to have an email address to directly contact these people. So what happens though, is when you put, when an individual church puts uh, information on the web, uh, it's 99.999% of the people that are drawing from it are well outside their geographic area and will never attend that church. That is why I recognized early on 25 years ago, and that's why I developed the, the database of conservative churches. It's by far the most accurate ever being produced. Uh, it's been updated uh, regularly. And uh, it's, you know, uh, what happens is somebody comes, they want to contact somebody. So rather than contacting the author or contacting, uh, they, they're, they're taken to um, uh, a search engine, which internally, which they type in their address and it, and it, it puts uh, 10 choices of local individuals and they can actually choose to communicate directly with somebody in their own hometown, regardless of where they live. So what's happening is we're having, I remember years ago, an, uh, an elder um, like yourself, 
um, you know, Bishop, he, um, he phoned me up and he said, is this Brother Rudd? I said, yeah, it's Brother Rudd. I said, Brother Rudd, um, we, we just, just wanted to know, we had somebody walk in uh, tonight for our services and they wanted to get baptized. Uh, and they, they, we said, well, how did you hear about us? He said, well, we heard about, uh, we heard about you through your website. And the elder said, well, Brother Rudd, we don't even have the internet. Um, who are you and what are you doing? And so what happened was the individual had read the material and had, had sought a church in their hometown. And that was the, and they just, people just drove right over to the church that night. Wow. That's the power of, of the internet. And so that's why the most important thing, and I've, I, I did a lecture, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago at Florida college. And that was the very point I made that, you know, if you have a church website, you, you need to have a way of making it incredibly easy for people to contact you on each and every page. Otherwise, what's the point? You're just serving material like, like an encyclopedia. The whole point of the material is to motivate them to either contact you, disagree with you, or agree with you. You're trying to generate contact. So years ago, I, I had, uh, in fact, I have an entire website on evangelism that's um, completely done. I, I was one of the authors for uh, Bill Tuggle's Spreading the Word. You may remember that magazine. Um, and so I've been you know, very intensely interested in evangelism in many different ways. And what you find is that <clears throat> uh, by having the, the internet, it provides a brand new venue that everybody anywhere can contact the people in their own hometown. And that's powerful. No, it's very powerful. And I think, uh, again, you know, I've mentioned a couple of times my age, but uh, you can look at me and tell, but uh, just the, the dynamics of, of technology, it's just, it's mind blowing. Uh, and uh, the younger people obviously understand it a lot better than the older of us do. But one of the things that I saw, and we've seen this just the, the, with the pandemic and everything of just what it's done with what all that did to congregations where it forced congregations to get involved in, in Zoom and streaming their, their services and all the different things that have come out, all the, me doing a podcast and all, and you've seen this, you got so many preachers out there that are doing weekly studies now and, and they've got different ones. And it's just a lot of, a uh, lot of energy, if you will, that's going on with technology. And I think it, you know, this is, I don't want to say it's just the start of it because you were back at the start of it. Uh, you and Mark Copeland did, but, but I think there's going to be a lot of really new, exciting things that are going to come out of this when people go, Oh, wow, look what we can do with this, you know? Uh, and to me, that's exciting. Um, all right. Well, thanks for sharing that. And, and they uh, tell everybody what's your website, what's the, uh, how they can go there and check it out. Uh, Bible.ca. Bible.ca. And uh, really, uh, and I commend you for that. Just so much good information on there. Um, the simple way to get there, I just tell people, is um, I've had a, a maybe 75 at least uh, first ranking hits of biblical keywords uh, like Exodus Root or Bible Maps. So, for example, I just recently put out a, a book on, on Bible Maps. And um, so if you just type in Bible Maps, my work is the first hit in the world in Google. And, um, and you know, I'm just saying that's how you can get to the website. Just type in Bible Maps and all the maps are there for free to use and see. Great. All right. Well, thank you for that. 
can you believe it? Matt just held up his, uh, just text me. We've got five minutes left. Yeah, and I, I understand. I, I, oh, it just goes too fast. All right. Just, I don't know how we can do this real quick. I, I've got this down. Chickens for Bibles. Tell everybody what that is. What was that? Well, I was in Zimbabwe a year ago. Um, and um, I, when I was there using a translator, I preached at about 33 churches. They wore me, they wore me to death. I, I was, you know, every single day, different church and sometimes three in one day. And I noticed immediately within the first day or two, I noticed that the congregational makeup was 80% women and that they were all literate. Zimbabwe is one of the highest literate um, countries in Africa. So all the women can read and write. So through the translator, I just, uh, I, I, I said, who's the preacher here? And so the guy stands up and I said, come up here. And so I put my arm around him. And I said, preacher, you got a problem. You got an army of, of women here and they, they don't have a sword. They don't have a Bible. I said, then I said, uh, you know, how many of you women here uh, can read Shona, the local language and the translator, you know, and then all the hands went up. How many of you have a Bible? None of the hands went up. I said, preacher, you got a problem. Why don't these women have Bibles? And I noticed that economically, a lot of the, uh, a lot of Zimbabwe is subsistence. In other words, they don't actually use money. They farm, they trade, they don't use money. Bibles cost cash, which they don't have. So I just said, how many of you women here that, ha that can read, that don't have a Bible, how many of you got chickens at home? And all the hands went up. I said, well, there you go. Guess what? It's a win-win situation because preachers like chicken and you need a Bible and they got Bibles and you got chickens. So I said, I'm starting the program right here, right now. It's called Chickens for Bibles. You bring two chickens and the preacher will give you a Bible. And if you only got one chicken, you get an Old Testament. <laughs> so that's how it started. And uh, they actually had women bring chickens. But then when I realized, I, 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 I quantified um, the demographics and realized we needed an impossible amount of money, $20,000 US to put a Bible into each hand of the women um, of the 48 congregations that I know about. And uh, so last year, uh, uh, through the efforts of Joyce and Donna Duncan in the US in uh, North Alabama, they started a fundraiser and were able to raise uh, $27,000 US. And they directly wired the money to the Zimbabwe Bible Society. And we bought, um, I can't remember, 3000 Bibles um, in two different languages. And the, the, pro the program, um, they, there was a daily Bible reading schedule I put together that it was in Shona and every one of them had to read the Bible daily and they were going to have accountability Sunday morning, raising your hands. And uh, the women had to go out and um, invite people and, and learn Bible verses. And they've had some growth from that. So that's chickens for Bibles. Chickens for Bibles. Yeah. When we were talking the other day, when you brought that up, I said, Oh, I've got to, we have to talk about that. Uh, and again, just, uh, uh, the Joyce, you, Joyce and Donna Duncan, did I get that right? Yes. Just the people that are out there like them, like that couple that are, are willing to help and, and uh, they just need to be made aware, uh, you know, that there's a need and uh, what's that old thing, find a need and fill it. But it's so, uh, that's so great that they stepped up and helped. And what's or amazing, what's, what's amazing right. about these two ladies is that one is an older lady, maybe about, uh, you know, 85 and the other one's a lady about my age. They're both very quiet, introverted, don't say much at all. They're just you know, like flies on the wall. And yet they were able to really 
bring in uh, influence through uh, uh, an online Facebook fundraiser and uh, they, they brought that about. So yeah. it shows you that the quiet people can do big, de- can do, can do big stuff for God. Oh, see, that's, uh, yeah, we could, we could spend a whole time on that, but, uh, uh, and especially talking about women. I mean, you go in a lot of congregations here in the States, uh, uh, and I'm sure at other places in Canada too. And if you did a head count, the majority of the ones there would be female. And, uh, and, and a lot of times they're just overlooked of what they can, we know the Bible's, you know, limitations on what they can do uh, publicly, but privately they can do things and set up studies and do things that you and I can never do just because of the, of the connections that they have. And it's another conversation. All right. I call this the conversion story. I know you have a lot, but tell us about one story that comes to mind of somebody that you studied with that obeyed the gospel that you'd like to share with us. Um, well, I mentioned the one from uh, uh, Zimbabwe, uh, not, yeah. I mean from Malaysia, but another one, uh, we have a regular uh, Bible tent. It's a 20 by 20 foot Bible tent. It's got um, about 200 electronic questions, lights light up, et cetera, true or false. So we had a we had a man, a young man uh, about forty five years old forty years old he he came and uh, he um, you know he was a little bit interested but we talked and um, so he ended up um, <clears throat> he came to church a couple of times and we talked and then I saw him about a year later at a local coffee shop and I said why don't you come to church and so he came to church and. He was baptized and he's been with us ever since. And that's, that was about five or six years ago. And he had been with the Jehovah's Witnesses, with the, the, the Mormons, the Moonies, the, you know, the spacewalkers on Mars, whatever. He'd done it all. And, uh, you know, he, he came and saw that there was something different about the churches of Christ that he hadn't seen in other churches. And he found himself a home where he was comfortable. Now, this man... Um, He'll take a seven-foot cross made out of four-by-fours, a big heavy cross, and he'll go down to the bar district uh, at two o'clock in the morning. He'll just stand there and not say anything as a witness. And he he does his own little thing. He's kind of like a lot of the, you know, that's not something I'm going to do, but people do their own individual things. And he does that as a witness. And the police have actually told him they like the way he does it. He's not catcalling him. He's not quoting Bible verses at him. He's just standing there silently holding a cross as people come out of the bar. And he's been attacked by, by people. Literally, a woman came up and started beating him up because just because he was standing there with a the cross, because the message is clear. Right. Um, and so that's Mike. And I'm just saying, you just don't have any idea who and what you're going to find. Uh, if The last thing I'll say is, when I first became a Christian, um, an older preacher, um, he was you know, probably in his 70s, and I said to him, I said, what's it all about? What is, my, what is my purpose as a Christian? I've been a Christian for about three to four or five months. And he said something I've never forgotten. And I'm going to close with this. He said, Steve, your purpose as a Christian is to get yourself to heaven and to take as many with you along the way as you go. And yeah. I've never forgotten that. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. One, uh, I close it out with uh, one thing. Somebody's listening to this and they, some, you know, we all connect with different ones. And somebody says, you know what? I like what Steve said. He made me think. Uh, if there was one thing that you could tell somebody that wanted to get involved in, in leading others to Christ, 
And I know there's more than one thing, but what would be one thing that you would tell somebody that they need to do or learn how to do? They, they already possess all the skill sets. I will tell them here exactly what I told every church I went to Zimbabwe. Uh, they had open windows and you could see people working a kilometer off in a corn farm. And I would say uh, to the preacher, I said, you see these women, you get them a Bible and you get them to be able to use their Bible. And when, when, and I would say to the ladies, I'd pick one lady, I'd say, you, you get a Bible. You can go over, you see that lady over there, everybody look out the window. Tomorrow, when you're out in the field working with that woman, talk to her, say, do you want to talk about Jesus? And you've got those five mount, five or seven Bible verses I told them to memorize, all the women had to memorize. You can do that. that everybody can do that. It comes down to simply inviting, asking, are you interested? Just like me. I'm sitting there playing a guitar, you know, um, trying to make some money. And, and a guy walks up from the church and he's, he, he, he just said, do you want to talk about Jesus? Yes. Hey, hey, guys, if you want to want to practice, repeat after me. Do you want to learn about Jesus? Okay, your training's done. Go do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, we've got to go. But uh, this has come up so many times in the interviews, the, the what if thing. And it's like when you were out there playing a the guitar, sitting there, what if whatever that brother's name was that came up and asked you that? What if he had never done that? What if he had not approached you? Or those someone women, else would someone yeah, else would have. Somebody else would have. But someone just, else would have. God would find a way. You yeah. seek and you will find. I call it the triangulation um, of, of, of evangelism. And God is seeking the lost. The Christian is seeking the lost. And the, no, the non-Christian is seeking God. God will find a way that, to keep his promise that if you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened. God would found a way. In fact, that's exactly how that happened is that very moment when that uh, man, young man came and uh, talked to me. Um, and, and by the way, he was a, a paranoid schizophrenic in the church. He had all kinds of mental problems and he was out there doing this, you know, Saturdays all by himself, the only guy in the whole church. Wow. And I'm just saying to you that uh, that was God's way. And, you know, God found a way. God sent him to me as my angel of God to connect with the church. So. All right. Well, thank you so much. And again, uh, appreciate you taking the time uh, and keep up your good work. Lord willing, we'll be able to meet someday in person. Uh, I hope that happens. And, uh, and I know uh, I'm looking forward to following up with you even after this, but uh, thanks again for taking the time to be with us today, Steve. Thank you, Dan. Have a nice day. God bless. God bless you too. Thank you. Melt my heart and fill my life. Give me one soul today.